Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we are going to consider who it is that the gospel offends. Paul, at multiple points in his letters, says that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Why did he need to say that? There clearly is something about the gospel that could bring shame upon a person who preaches it or even a person who believes in it in this world. And I think the answer to that question as to who does the gospel offend, it might surprise you. And uh, not to give it all away, but to kind of prime the pump for you, the gospel certainly offends the self-righteous, those among us who think that we either are righteous before God or can attain righteousness, that's clear. But then the gospel also offends those among us who are licentious, where we are clinging to things that are desires of our flesh, and we don't really want to let those things go. And so the reality of our union with Christ and what that means for our freedom and our liberation and our transformation of life sometimes can be hard to hear also. John and I are going to consider all of this in today's episode. We hope that you're encouraged and helped by the content. Stay tuned. If you'd like to help support Theocast, you can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ, conversations about the Christian life from a confessional, reformed, and pastoral perspective. We are aiming here at Theocast to clarify the gospel and reclaim the purpose of the kingdom of Christ. Your hosts today to that end are John Moffat, who is pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and I am Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. John, it's good to see you today, my friend. I've enjoyed time with you this morning Yeah. in a general way. I've been encouraged yeah. by you. We've talked about good things, talked about hard things, and we have mm. fought a losing battle against technology yet again today. <laughs> the fall and, is real, brother. The and we fall have seen, is real. We have seen the Lord's sanctifying grace it's right. in both <laughs> of our lives, but maybe pointedly in mine because I was not even viscerally upset about technological failure. As many out there know, I'm kind of a Luddite and I only am kind of a, just grossly utilitarian when it comes to technology. I'm not a techie. And so when technology fails, as it is prone to do, it yes. can be a frustrating thing for me. And uh, we'll just chalk it up to the Lord's sanctifying grace that um, he has seen fit to unite me to his son. And uh, I didn't get upset today and I'm thankful for that. So <laughs> there we are. Anyway, it's good to be with you, dude. And I'm excited That's for right. the conversation that we're going to have today is, is always the case. And I'll turn it over to you for any of your handy dandy, wonderful announcements that you'd like to make and then let you tell the listener what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, man, there's, I don't know, there's a lot going on with Theocast. Um, there's a membership coming, a membership update coming where we're going to have Theocast U. Mm. Uh, that actually is out by now. It came out in mm. May, early May. So there'll be extra classes that Justin and I have taught through Theocast and through our churches. Um, there's an entire, what we call the uh, Reformed Theology Masterclass. I think there's like 15 lessons in there that walks you through the basics of Reformed Theology, stuff that Justin and I have taught. So anyways, it's good stuff there. Uh, we have a new shirt, uh, Look to Christ, uh, that was voted on by you. I know. I that's available at the store. Yeah, yeah, I know. I need to get you one of those. Uh, if you didn't know this in general, but we have, uh, we do have merch there. Actually, yeah. Justin's wearing a hat. If you're on YouTube, we have hats, shirts, um, uh, and it's a it's a flat bill just to upset a certain. Oh, wow. a certain I don't know. Segment, it's so weird. 
A certain subset of our listenership is offended by my flat bill hat. And I'm not sure what's going on with that. <laughs> yeah, it's like wearing knee socks these days. I guess that's offensive know, too. Man. Who knows? Know. Anyways, Gosh. that's it. That's all I got uh, for as far as announcements. Want to thank you guys. Uh, we're, we put a survey out there about... Uh, we're just doing some reconnaissance on a potential conference. We keep talking about it, so we figured let's start doing some research on it. Sure. See what uh, what we can come up with. So, And then one last thing, just keep praying for Justin and I as we try and barrel through starting the Grace Reform Network. It's mm. it's making progress. I think we're up to 60 churches now on the Church Finder. That's exciting. Cool. And uh, so anyways, there, apparently there are 60 churches who agree with us. That's That's something. <laughs> It's not nothing. <laughs> it's not nothing. Yeah. So, all right, Justin. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I got. So you're going to tell us what we're going to talk about. Oh, I, mean, yeah, I, know, well, I know, but the listener want, doesn't. Oh, you want me to do that? Okay. They maybe have seen the title, but. Yes. You know, can, which can we I haven't just, even come up with yet. No. Actually. Can I just say this now that yeah. today is such a lighter, fun, jovial conversation that you and I have compared to what we did the last time we recorded about the role of men and women. So. I just am so thankful that's over and we can move on, move on to other things. <laughs> Today is another thing that's offensive, but in a way in which it's been this way for a long time. We're going to talk about the offense of the gospel. Paul mentions three separate times. He says once to Timothy, uh, do not, do not, uh, how does he word it? Let me actually just read it here because it'd be, it'd be better if I just read his words. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He says that's to Timothy. Then the Romans... He says, for I mm -hmm. am not ashamed of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And then in Corinthians, the first first Corinthians one eighteen, he says, mm -hmm. for the word of the cross is folly or foolish oh, yeah. to those who are perishing. Yeah. So it, it's if, if it's an offhanded comment that he well, makes. Well, and he, he also will say at points that Jesus, of course, is a, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense and all those right. things too. Yeah. Right. I mean, we could keep on. I mean, there's several that we could use. But there, there comes a time when you have to step back and say, why does he feel necessary? to say this. Why is it important? And we're going to make arguments on either side. I think there's some cultural arguments in his particular setting, but then we can look at the nature of the gospel and say that there are um, a defense to people in our day as well on either side. So we're going to look at two offenses. Yeah. I think there's people on either side of this that are going to be offended by the work and the nature of the good news of Christ. The one that's going to be offended is the self-righteous, mm -hmm. um, Paul is dealing with people in that particular genre for sure that they think their righteousness is sufficient before the Lord. And then there's also going to be people who do not understand that their actions are an offense to God and the gospel is what liberates them and cleanses them from the offense. They don't think they're offending anybody. That would be the licentious cry that's being offended by the good news of the gospel. Uh, that's like telling, it's like offering somebody medicine and they're like, I don't, I'm not sick. Uh, you, sure. you, that, that, why, why would I want to take medicine if I'm not sick? So we're going to talk about both sides of those today. And I think it's important for us to do so. We may find ourselves um, dealing either with our own hearts in our own context or uh, the people around us who might be understanding this. Uh, and Justin, I'll just begin by a little bit of a, an anecdote and then I'll turn it over to you. Um, I am beginning to feel this more and more in my preaching where the stronger you and I have become, I am so thankful for you because you prop me up. You, you put gospel um, shots of espresso in my veins to remind me that, hey, even though we might get shot at, John, keep preaching. You know, my elders have been the, you know, the guys who have just really carried me 
through a lot of criticisms. And, sure. you know, when, when you and I make statements about Christ and the gospel and sanctification and, and we don't allow the culture to manipulate us, are we being beaten and thrown out of the city like Paul? No. No, we're not. But I can still feel that uh, people are not excited about what we're doing and then make that known. And I don't ever want to find, um, like, I don't want to be invigorated by people's accusations against me. But when Paul says counter to joy or James says counter to joy, the point of the, 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 what they're driving you towards is that uh, if they accused Christ because of they hated him and they're accusing you, you can take comfort in that you're doing the right thing and you're not you're not doing something wrong. That's where this podcast is coming from, is that as we who love the gospel and love Christ and hold a historic reformed understanding of it, I think as time goes on, we are going to feel more and more opposition to our position because Paul, Jesus, and James told us we would. So that's sure. that's yeah. kind of the introduction to the topic. Yeah. Inevitably, my head as a preacher, my heart as a preacher is going to be very much in whatever book of scripture I'm preaching. We've acknowledged this in the past. And so it's difficult for me, and I don't mean this in a bad sense, difficult. It's just difficult for me to approach this conversation, divorced from the book of Romans, because it's where I am presently. And you already said this, perhaps the most overt place where Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel is Romans 1.16. Right. It's a very well-known verse and the verse that follows it, you know, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation for all who believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. For in it, the gospel, right, the righteousness of God is revealed. And by that, he doesn't mean God's attribute that he's righteous. He means that the righteousness that God gives to sinners is revealed in the gospel. And it begins and ends in faith. And as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he's saying that he's not ashamed of the gospel, like you already alluded to, for a reason. Because evidently, there's something about the gospel that does bring upon someone who preaches it, that does bring upon someone who believes it, reproach and shame in this world. And the question is, well, why? And where would we begin to contemplate these things and speak to the offense of the gospel or even the shame that might be put upon a person who is a preacher of the gospel or a believer in the gospel. Well, man, I start, I'm going to start with the, the way that the gospel, the message of the gospel, and also implied in this is the reality of the law and how this really does offend to the high heavens, the self-righteous person. And we all whether we would admit it or not, are self-righteous. We all think in various ways that we're doing better than we are. Uh, we all tend to look down on other people as though they're not doing what they should be doing. And we're just blind to so many things. Hmm. Paul begins his argumentation right after having said that he's not ashamed of the gospel and in the gospel, the righteousness of God that he gives to sinners is revealed. He then goes on in to say the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So he goes to get on to indict everyone and make it very plain that the only way of salvation is that God would give you righteousness because everybody, whether you're a Jew or you're a Greek, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're under sin. And so he starts by indicting all of the brilliant Gentiles out there and demonstrating how we've all been given over to various passions and cravings and things that are abominable and 
wicked mm. and how we're so bad that not only do we do this stuff, we condone it and we celebrate it. So there's that. And then he turns the table on the Jews after that and says, look, you are without excuse too. If you pass judgment on people who do the things that I've just been talking about, you need to understand that effectively by the same standard you use, you'll be judged by it. And so you have not kept the standard that you call others to. You have not met your own standard, let alone God's. And the reality is you're hard of heart, right? And you're unrepentant because you think you're okay and that other people are going to face the wrath of God rightly for what they've done, but you don't think you will face the wrath of God because you're doing better than they are. And that's just not the case. And then he, he goes on to say that what's going to be required at God's bar, and the only question that's going to be asked of you is whether or not you've kept the law. Mm. And then he makes very plain that nobody's kept the law. Mm. God is just. He's good. He rewards those who obey and do good things with eternal life. The problem is nobody's good. He's a righteous judge. He'll condemn those who have done evil, and the reality is everybody's evil. Nobody's That's righteous. Right. Nobody's done good. Not even one. Right. And so this, this right out of the gate to say that the only way that you could ever be reconciled to God who made you is by having righteousness given to you because you don't have any, that in and of itself flies in the face of every human instinct that we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, make something of ourselves. And it flies in the face of every human instinct that we are aiming to be good people and that there is some kind of reward that should be given to us for what we do. And there is some kind of punishment that we should face if, in fact, we are bad. But from our perspective, we're kind of a mashup of good and bad, and we're more good than bad. And so it's going to sort itself out in the end. And to look at people and say, you have nothing. And you have not done what's required. You can never do what's required, actually. And you stand hopeless and bankrupt and on your own steam is offensive to us all. So we'll begin there. Yeah. So I'll start with the self-righteous side of it. And then I think we can go to the licenses side, if you want to use those yeah. terms or the sinful side. Uh, I do find it helpful when Hebrews says it's impossible to please God without this particular thing. He doesn't say righteousness. Mm. He doesn't say obedience to the That's law. Right. Um, he doesn't say cleansing or whatever, keeping yourself clean. Those are all important, but that's not what he says. Well, that gives us the capacity to please him. He says without faith, now, he doesn't mean faith in general, you know, because people say, you know, it's, it's, the, it's halfway through the game. We just need to have faith, you know, faith in what, you know, our ability, you know, right. put faith in your ability. No, the whole book of Hebrews is about the, the sufficiency of Jesus, right? So he's saying without faith in the sufficiency of Jesus, you will never please the Father. Now, that's a blow to the self-righteousness because mm -hmm. you're coming before him. And, and, and in contrast in Hebrews, he is contrasting people who want to find, uh, find God's favor based on the law, the Mosaic law, the old mm -hmm. law, the old covenant. And he's saying the old covenant is not sufficient to uh, please God. Sure. Not fully. It was a temporary uh, external cleansing, and Christ made the final internal and external cleansing. This is why not only did he cleanse us our flesh, he cleansed our conscience, right? He cleansed the inside of us. And he's saying, if you do not believe that and trust that, you'll never please God. Yeah. And that is really hard to hear because, uh, Justin, we're, we're such a black and white culture sometimes where uh, we only can see it in one way. Mm -hmm. and, and it's really hard for us to see it from God's perspective because he's like, listen, you're a sinner and I do not accept anything you have to offer me. Not only even, not even your faith I give to you. Like that's a gift 
from me to you. But while you do your good works, which are necessary to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to love and care for your brothers, mm-hmm. right? And to build them up and to be growing in grace. Uh, I only am going to work through faith to do that. Yeah. That's how that's going to work. Yeah, Man, that's hard to hear. It is. I mean, I'll go ahead and, and jump here and I may say some other things pertaining to justification, but I think one of the most offensive things about the gospel to church going folk is the fact that, like you just said, even when it pertains to our Christian living and our sanctification, it is all of grace. It is all a gift. It is all secured by Christ. And it is all realized through our union with Christ. In other words, do like I'll just be really clear. Do we participate in our sanctification? The answer to that is yes, in that we participate by the fact, by virtue of the fact that we are alive now. We were dead. We're now alive. Do you participate in your birth? You breathe. Well, it's just like I participate in life in this world by virtue of the fact that I'm alive. Right. And I participate in my sanctification by virtue of that same fact that I have been made alive together with Christ. Yet at the same time, it is absolutely unobjectionably obvious that I do not decisively change my own heart and I do not decisively sanctify myself, that that is entirely the work of God. And it is entirely empowered by the Spirit of Christ at work within me. And that's not outside and of the gospel. That is no, the gospel. That that is the good news. I, I think if I were to be asked, what's the most neglected doctrine in the church today? It is yeah, union, union with Christ. With Christ. Yeah. It is union with Christ, not just for justification, mm-hmm. but for sanctification and eternal life. Come this on, is very offensive to many serious-minded church-going people oh, yeah. who are very concerned about obedience and faithfulness. And it is a human objection that has always existed. This objection is as old as the gospel, that if you say these things and you tell people that all of the work of redemption is over, and if you tell them that all that matters is that they would be found in Christ Jesus, you were by default, we're all in Adam. We're represented by Adam. His guilt is counted to us as our guilt. His sin is counted to us as our sin. That's our default position. We come into existence not in right relationship with God. All there is for us by way of salvation is to be found in Christ. And if that's true of you, he is now your representative and you gain more in him than you lost in Adam. His righteousness is given to you and all is well. If you say that, the concern is always for faithfulness and obedience and holy living and how will we be motivated and and the like. Yeah. And so when we come in and say that the answer to that objection has nothing to do with the law, and it has nothing to do with unsettling the saints and causing them to, to question their standing and holding something out in front of them that they must pursue, right? Do these things or else dot, 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 you will not be saved. Unless we do that, the argument is obedience and holiness and faithfulness are going to fall by the wayside. We say no. In fact, union with Christ is the thing, that we have died to sin's guilt in Christ, which has changed everything. Because as soon as we've been united to Jesus, we've died to sin's guilt, and the fountainhead of sanctification begins to flow. That's right. The streams begin to flow, and our lives begin to change, and that is solely because we've been united to the Savior. Mm -hmm. And that will mean some stuff for our living, which we'll get into in just a minute. But it is incredible how offensive it is to people when you preach not just Jesus for justification on the front end, but you preach Christ for sanctification. You preach Christ for pardon and for power. 
that's very frightening to many people. That's right. I think it's important to give you two illustrations to the Galatians. He says, the way which you have begun is the way that you will walk. Or Amen. Continue yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, you have got second Corinthians five, seven, we walk mm-hmm. by faith. And the idea of that when like, let's make this practical, Justin. Mm-hmm. Okay. When he says, um, uh, walk by faith, continue the way in which you've begun. Uh, it goes back to the concept of union in Christ. That mm-hmm. This is a, a shout out to our dear brother, Jimmy Bueller, who mm-hmm. was dealing with a church member back in the day where he says, well, I've just hitched my wagon to obedience. Yeah. What he's saying is the driving factor of his Christian life is yeah. looking to his own performance. You might want to hitch your wagon to Christ and his obedience. It's <laughs> just a right. thought. Yeah. Right. And so what we're saying is that according to the apostle Paul, who wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, who also said that the driving factor of the Christian life, what pushes us forward, what gets us out of bed every single day mm-hmm. is faith in the sufficiency of our connection to Christ. Amen, yeah. Through his cleansing, through his sanctifying, sanctifying process, and through the, the hope that we have of living with him in the new heavens, the new earth, and in a glorified body. Mm-hmm. We walk every day in that reality, knowing we have been cleansed. As you know, you've said before in the past, we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved, right? Yeah, and true. that's um that does not mean you then sit on the couch and watch TV. That's what people think we're hearing. No. Mm-hmm. Walking means there's motion. Sure. But you're walking being driven by and being pulled by faith, right? Yeah. Trusting in the sufficiency of Christ on our behalf. And that's really hard to do when you're allowing your works to get in the way. Yeah. You start offering up to God, see God, see how well I have done. And you're using that as a means to say God accepts me. Now, listen, Justin, I will tell you right now, you and I have both been thoroughly and significantly encouraged by the sanctifying process of God in our life. Mm -hmm. We can look back and say, I am not not what I should be, but I am not what I was. And praise be to God for that. And and the confession speaks to this. The Lenamaptus and the Westminster Confession speaks to how the sanctifying process of God can be an encouragement to us. But he doesn't say walk in the strength of the sanctifying process, knowing that as you become more and more sanctified, that's what gives you strength. No, you're not looking at results because results will vary and they go up and down. And at times, Justin, the things, I've got new bad habits. I have new sins I didn't have before. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith Versus Faithfulness, A Primer on Rest. And if you struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. This is true in my own local church. This is true of Theocast. Do not ever think that all of our talk of the objective realities of Christ and the objective work of Christ and uh, the things that we're looking outside of ourselves to and the confession we're holding to. Don't ever let that language confuse you as to though we don't think that the transformation of life is real. Right. The transformation of life is real. We yeah. have been changed. I mean, I, you know, we know we've been changed. Like somebody out there say amen. And the, amen. the only thing is, right, we just don't trust the change. We trust Christ. That's, That's the right. distinction. We yeah. look to our changed lives. We look to our sanctification and we're encouraged. We should encourage one another in the church with those realities. Hey, bro. Hey, sis. Like, I'm encouraged by you, and I'm encouraged to see the grace of God in your life. Like, you're not how you used to be, and I've seen it. I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen it, and you should be encouraged. Thank God. We should talk like this more often. But we're not putting our confidence in the change because, like you said, 
that tends to vacillate and ebb and flow. Yeah. I think last comment maybe toward the uh, the self righteous yes. angle, yeah. and then we'll pivot. Yeah. Yep. I think that what is a little bit frightening for folks is when, and and it's it just flies in the face of human reason mm-hmm. in such a way that people get a little bit unsettled by. Is when you look at people and you say, you know, if you want sanctified people, preach Christ. Mm. If you if you want to see sanctification happen, preach the objective realities of union with Christ and preach the objective realities of justification in him and watch how people change. That breaks people's brains sometimes. It and I, I'm going to appeal to the scripture in, in Romans 6, verses 1 to 11. There is not a word in those verses about change in us. It's all about the objective reality of what has happened to us by virtue of the fact that we've been united to Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's and when he the, the one exhortation in Romans 6, 1 to 11 is in verse 11, where Paul says, so you must also consider or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And when he says dead to sin, he means that we've been justified from sin, mm-hmm. verse 7. Yeah. We've been set free from sin's guilt, right? You, so what's the imperative there? Hold fast to the confession. Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ via your union with Jesus. And this is going to be the entire ground of Christian living. Mm. That's his argument. And that is very, very frightening for many because they think that, oh, man, we've got to turn this subjective somehow. We've got to put the onus on us somehow. Uh, in being dead to sin's power immediately. And that's what this means. And my life is different. It's like, well, he, right. Paul's going to get to that in the latter portion of Romans 6, which is where we're going to go here in just a minute. I mean, the idea is contained there mm-hmm. about how we're not what we once were and how we become obedient from the heart. And there are a lot of things that we used to do that bore no fruit in our lives. So why would we want anything to do with them? But it's all grounded in the objective work of Christ and our union with him. And that's where we have to start. And we will continue to take the bullets that may be shot in our direction for saying these things. And that's okay because uh, it's in the text and it's the only way that we can ever have hope and peace. And the great project of the Christian life is holding fast to the confession of what Christ has accomplished. He starts with the hope of Christ. You are in union with Christ, therefore now put it to death, right? It's not a fear tactic. It's a declaration. You've been liberated. The door's open. Now you can walk out of the prison. He has set you free from that. And I, I, I just love that encourages my heart. And that is the offense of the gospel. Amen. Just like the offense, here's the last five seconds of my 30 seconds. That is the offense of the prodigal son, right? The father, right? The father loving his son in a way in which brings shame upon himself. That's what's so offensive of the mm. gospel is the father puts the shame on the son and then says, yeah. you are set free child and That's live right. now free. Speaking of, to make transition, Sometimes it's the opposite side of that, that we don't think we need to be set free because we don't see that there's a problem. We don't see that there's a sin. And this is the other side of the offensive side of the gospel where Christ is offered as the hope of the good news based Mm -hmm. on the law. Now, let's be very clear. The law brings the offense, okay? The law is what comes in and should bring guilt and shame. And the gospel Mm -hmm. is that what should come in and um, liberate. But when the law does not uh, does not break the heart, the gospel 
is offensive as well <laughs> because the, the gospel becomes a healing to people who do not think they need to be healed. I'll just give you some examples of a modern day context where Christians are going to start feeling this uh, to say that homosexuality or gender transformation, that those are not God's original design. They actually violate God's law. Um, they don't represent the human nature and the beauty of God and that the gospel is a wonderful cleansing and liberation from a vile prison that can be offensive if they do not believe that yeah. that's not they, they believe that the what they have chosen is acceptable in the eyes of God right. and they don't need to be liberated from something that is acceptable well the, so when it comes to the overtly self-righteous crowd that we were just referring to those are individuals who have taken stock of their lives even in light of God's law and have determined they're doing pretty well Right, they're doing at least well enough. Yeah. This is a this flip is another side form of, of this is yeah. a di- it's kind of another form of it, but it I, it's slightly different. The way I might describe it is the way that you just illustrated it. I think depicts this. Really, what we're dealing with here in this second category of people are those who look at themselves and other human beings, and they conclude that if there are desires that are innate to us, then they must be okay. And that if if there are things that I intuitively think, that I innately feel, that I innately want and crave even, then those things have to be okay uh, because I didn't really choose them. And so this is the rationale for when it comes to particularly issues of gender and sexuality. It's like, well, I, I want what I want. I've always wanted this. I've always felt this. I've always been burdened by this. And so it must be okay that I pursue it in a way that I feel good about. Mm-hmm. What we're not acknowledging is a very clear biblical truth that not only is there the law that stands outside of us and we can we can weigh people's actions, the law makes it very plain and the scriptures make it very plain that there are a lot of desires that we have, there are a lot of cravings that we have, there are a lot of passions that we have, there are a lot of feelings that we have that are wrong. And that sounds insane to the modern ear that like you something that you want and desire with all of your heart speaking at a human level could very well be wicked. And it's, it's as natural as breathing for you to want something that God says is wrong. That's right. And like, so we all got to own this in the church on so many levels. We have cravings, passions, and desires that are wicked and corrupt. Mm -hmm. And that's a very offensive thing to say to the modern person. And then when we say not only that we stand condemned by the law in light of not only what we do, but what we think, feel, and want. But then when we pivot to union with Christ and sanctification, and we begin to point out that there are these things that used to be true of us that were detrimental and devastating to us that are now being effectively changed and worked on by the power of God himself, that's also a a startling message. It you know, is. to use, it's very reasonable though. I mean, like Paul in, in Romans 6, again, I appeal to this. I mean, he had, toward the end of the chapter, it's kind of like, hey, let's reason together. Mm-hmm. You know, when you were, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, meaning when you were serving sin, you didn't act like you had any obligation to righteousness and you acted like you didn't have anything to do with righteousness. Mm-hmm. So the flip is now true. Now that you've become a servant of righteousness and obedience by union with Christ, we ought not act like we're obligated towards sin bound to it in any way. And we ought to act like we don't have anything to do with it. And then he goes on to say, uh, let's just talk for a second. What fruit were you getting from sinning? 
Like what good was it doing for you? You know? Um, and the answer to that is, well, nothing good. Uh, I wouldn't do anything good for me. And what was the, was that, was that going to end well for you? It's like, no, not at all. Actually it wasn't. Um, so, so that's obvious. Like, why would you continue to engage? Why would you continue to go there? Now he says, you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves of God. You get fruit. That's all kinds of good for you and all kinds of good for your neighbor. And this ends in eternal life. Mm-hmm. It's so good. That's right. Right. And, and then I, I think this is tough for people uh, because we, we want to do what we want to do. The corruption of the flesh is real. Yeah. We seek to justify ourselves in any way that we can. And we buck, even as Christians, we can buck against what the law says and what the scripture says. And, and we want to make room for ourselves to indulge in a way that we don't feel condemned and we don't feel shame over. And so we react against it. And yeah. to, for people to look at you and say that, yeah, God is actually working to change you can be a difficult thing to hear when it's something that we kind of, though we would never talk this way in public, we kind of hold it near and dear inside. That's right. Know? Yeah, I, I think you and I would be offended if if I came to you and I said, Justin, the way you are loving your wife, it's uh, you need to be liberated from that. You need mm-hmm. to be saved. And you're like, dude, I, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, And that's how their mindset is so much. Sure. So they change the gospel and Paul warns against this. Jesus warns against this. Peter warns against this, that they will come in. And Paul says, if you hear another gospel than the gospel that I proclaim to you, then mm-hmm. you're hearing a false gospel. Yeah. So the, my daughter is uh, getting her undergraduate right now. And she has a, she's at a secular school and the professor proclaims to be a Christian. And uh, I think this is in her history class. Somehow they got up on re- on religion and homosexuality and how he said I, he doesn't think it's a sin. And it was interesting in that she yeah. witnessed, she witnessed a guy who was offended by the gospel and changed it. And so it was a great conversation. The two of us, we could have on the way home where mm-hmm. he was, you know, presenting his logic and how it works. And it, it's not that um, sometimes these people are violent, you know, and they, they, there's a lot of contention there, but sometimes these are people who are nice and they're logical and they're not, they're not trying to be evasive, but they flat out change the gospel because the gospel that's been handed to them is offensive. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a, as the media is growing and our culture is starting the, the gospel is becoming, I think more precise and more clear And there are more people who are proclaiming a clear, um, pure gospel. Mm-hmm. This is, the, I'm seeing it. Um, my my kids have experienced this where they have kids that are now no longer the gender that they were born with. And they they say that sure. God's fine with it. Um, they are, I've never had so many parents come to me talking to me about the experience of their children, talking with other kids about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense where the Christian community uh, as it relates to, I'll even say this, premarital sex, things sure, like yeah. this, where yeah, it's these like, things are commonplace. Yeah. Right. And it's like, listen, I am, I'm not a legalist and I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that you, you have to perform in a certain way for God to accept you, but there is a difference between that's an offense before the Lord and you can have freedom well, from it and not believing in its offense. Sure. And yeah. a couple of final comments for me. Um, I mean, first of all, we've said this many times, sin is normal and it's not okay. We need yeah. to be clear on all that. Yep. And grace is not a means or a method by which we call something that's wrong right or by which we call something that's wrong okay. Mm-hmm. Grace is what God has given us to deal with real wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's important that we're clear on that piece. Um, and then, I mean, even as you were talking, I, I want to be really clear. 
as a as a kind of positive note, maybe to end the the pod, at mm-hmm. least from me. Yeah. I don't want to be misunderstood because I do understand, and I know you agree, that because of our union with Christ and being made alive together with him, we have been changed. And like Paul says in Romans 6, 17, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. God right. is doing this in you to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. And he's already told us before mm-hmm. that sin will not have dominion. Sin will not win. We will be victorious in this project because of Christ, right? The the inward corruption may remain, like it's going to remain in us until the resurrection. And the, the corrupt nature may prevail for a time, even in the life of a believer. But at the end of the day, the regenerate part will overcome because of the grace of God and the work of the Spirit of Christ in us. And I, I want to be clear too, like we are not immediately upon our justification and union with Christ. It's not as though we're a finished project. Our understanding is going to continue to change. Our minds are going to continue to be renewed so that increasingly we delight in God's law. We want to obey. We're grieved at the thought of offending the Lord. But we don't assume that this happens immediately. It's going to be a a process over a lifetime where we're going to look different today and think differently today than we did 5, 10, 20 years ago. And we can be encouraged by that. And we can see the promises of God in Scripture that we will be conformed under the image of Christ and that there is eternal security in Jesus as these kinds of things are taking place in us and as God is doing this work in and through us. And so we should take heart in this. And and even if there are ways in which, because we all do, even if there are ways in which we cherish our sin and we have in our flesh a desire to sin, we ought not let that for one second convince us that we're not Christ's. That's right. Right. Who will we, save me from this body of death? Exactly. We should Christ. understand that this is the normal experience of the Christian. That's right. And trust the Lord in it all. Amen. Yeah. I would say hear, hear, and amen to that. And yeah, my encouragement to the person who might be struggling with some of the things that we have referenced, the fact that you're struggling and that you know that it's wrong, cling yes. tighter to Christ. Amen. Agree with God on your sin. Justin and I, before we record our pods, we always agree with God on about our sin. This is why we ask him for mercy and grace, because we agree with God, we're sinful beings. Yeah. We're weak, yeah. we're frail, we fail you constantly. The moment you stop agreeing with God about your sin is a moment that you have maybe changed the gospel or forgotten. As it says in Second uh, Peter, you've forgotten, you've been cleansed from your former sins. So no, that's amen. all I got, Justin. Well, we're going to go and record a second podcast that is referred to as our Semper Reformanda podcast. That's a, another related ministry of Theocast for our members, people who have partnered with Theocast to support us financially. Uh, that membership provides you access to some additional content, including this extra pod each week. But it also gives you access to a community of people uh, and even an app if you're into that kind of thing. I admit it, <laughs> I wasn't a techie, but I do like the SR app. A lot of yeah, sweet, a lot of sweet saints in there, and a lot of good dialogue and yeah. and people helping one another and encouraging one another as we all grow in our understanding of the law and the gospel and confessionalism and the whole thing. So I would commend all that to you. You can go over to our website, theocast.org, and get all the information that you need about the SR membership and how you can sign up and all that good stuff. So John and I are going to head over and have an extension of this conversation. Not 100% sure what we're going to talk about, so I'm going to be surprised just like you. And I trust it will be <laughs> It's always good. It's trust will be encouraging. Good. And we will talk with you should the Lord not return. We'll talk with you again next week. Grace and peace. Amen.